Acts chapter 19. Uh, it's quite a long chapter, so we're going to read a bit, and um, I'll then try and sort of summarize, and um, <clears throat> we'll go from there. First one. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they were spoken in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is uh, really Christianity. It's what it was referred to back then. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, "'In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out.'" Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. Verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, this total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. We'll pause there and come back. So really, Paul is going around preaching here in, in Ephesus, and uh, it says in verse, verse 18 that people kept, uh, as a response to what God was doing there, people kept coming and, and confessing, and, and so that lives are being turned around. People are coming, repenting of their sins, turning away from an old life, encountering Jesus, and, and I say there's, there's, there's dramatic change in these people's lives. People were coming to know Jesus. In verse 19, you know, it talks about them, uh, you know, a bonfire. They, they gathered their, 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 their scrolls, their idols, and, and burnt them. It had a bonfire in verse 19. And so this morning, I want to talk about uh, idols. And uh, my first point is that idols are prevalent. Because you might think, you might sit here and, and hear me say, well, we're going to talk about idols, and, and think, well, that's, that's okay. You know, this was a society where there was, there was idol worship, uh, you know, it makes sense that they, would, that they would burn them. You know, having encountered Jesus, they would turn away from those thing, things and, and kind of burn them. But, but you know, that's not me. I don't, I don't have sort of, you know, uh, statues around my house or, uh, you know, kind of avert idols or, or named gods, uh, you know, uh, in, in my life, in my house or in my life. Um, you know, maybe some people have those things, maybe in some cultures today, but, but here in the West, you know, we're more, we're more enlightened, and, uh, and, you know, we don't really, that, that's, not, that's not something that, that affects me here and now. You know, what's the, what's the relevance? Well, an, an idol is anything that we would put in the place of our, in our hearts, in the place that belongs to Jesus. 
anything that we would, anything that we would seek to, to, to see hope from, anything that we put in the center of our lives, to build hope, identity, meaning from in our lives. It's taking often good things, often very, very good things, and making them ultimate things. The, the language of, of idolatry, kinda, it kind of goes like this. It goes, if I just had that, if I could just achieve this, then I'd be happy, I'd be okay, I'd be safe. Whatever that, whatever that thing is that, that, that is more important to you, that has more meaning than, than, than Jesus to you, that gives you identity and hope, as I say, the most, the most powerful idols, they're, they're good things. It might, be, it might be things like family. It might be uh, achievements. It might be uh, approval, other people's approval of you. It might be career. You know, if only I can, I can reach this status and earn this much and provide and, and so on. It might be competence, appearance, skill. Anything can be turned into some sort of salvation, uh, a source of hope and meaning. And the, and the Bible would say that's an idol. Anything that, that place in your heart where you seek hope and meaning, and, and it's, it's an idol. If it's not the Lord, it's an idol. And so when we, when we read this, continue this passage in a moment, we're going to read about this goddess Artemis, a first century uh, god idol uh, that would, you know, had been, been crafted by, by silversmiths. Into, you know, kind of people had shrines in their homes. And the temptation could be to, to, to read it and think, well, I don't, I don't have that in my home. I don't have that in my life. Folks, that's the culture that we live in. There are idols all around us. And you could, you could argue that the, the subtlety of it in our culture, the subtlety where it's not, it's not overt, there aren't kind of figurines and statues and so on in our homes, but the, the, you could argue the subtlety of it makes it all the more powerful. You know, you're, you're, you might not have a shrine at home, but it might be a, uh, an Xbox, Yeah. It might be your home itself. You know, I've got to just, it, the home has just got to be just right. Or it might be, be family or achievement of yourself or your children or career or reputation or, or what other people think of you. Hugely powerful. Oh, what other people, how other people view me, what other people think of me. Hugely, hugely powerful. And so in this, in this passage, we've, we've read that uh, Paul was going around preaching and amazing things were happening and, and lives were being changed. People were burning their idols and turning away from old lives. And let's read what happens next in verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And so he's saying that this... This uh, goddess, Artemis, uh, yeah, made them rich. Yeah, this was, this was big business. Don't think of some, some kind of man at the, the side of the road, you know, fashioning silver. This is, this is big business. This is employing people, you know, in a whole economy going on here. People were skilled, people working with silver, no less. There's a lot of value in that. Um, and it was, let's go on, verse 25. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said... You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. So he's moved on now. First of all, it was, uh, you know, it's going to affect our wallets. Now he's concerned about the good name of Artemis. Um, uh, 
will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar, and the people seized Gaius and Aris, some other guy, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Uh, and in this theatre, imagine an open-air arena, kind of, you know, 25,000 people there. This is, uh, you know, a natural place for impromptu gatherings or riots uh, that we're, we're into here. And uh, you should think that this business, this is a huge, big business in our terms, you know, multi-million pound economy that's at threat here. These people are, have done well off the back of this, this idol worship, and they see it under threat. And so, of course, him and his friends are unhappy. And so idols are they're prevalent. But also, my second point is we're in a battle. We have a very real enemy, Satan. And though he's been defeated at the cross, he doesn't give up without a fight. And often when we, when we see ground taken, and in this, 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 this account here, we've seen ground taken, lives, lives, come, lives changed, turned around. People come to know Jesus, and we, we see these good things, we see breakthrough. But, but sometimes when that happens, whether it's in church life or, our, or in our own life, we, we can expect kind of pushback from the enemy. We can expect uh, persecution. You know, we've seen ground taken, we've seen the enemy pushed back, driven back, lives turned around, and we can expect pushback. We're in a battle, we can expect persecution. Jesus, he told us to, to expect it, didn't he? In, in John chapter 16, in this world, this is Jesus speaking, in this world you will have trouble. We read it in the Bible. Jesus had it. Disciples had it and so we should expect it in our own lives. If you, if you know you're in a battle, you, you behave differently, don't you? You know, if you, if, if I, you know, if you went out into uh, battlegrounds, you would you would armor up, you would be on the lookout, you'd be aware, you'd, you, know, you wouldn't just switch off and kind of wander around with your, your hands in your pockets. You'd be aware. And so, folks, if we know we're in a battle, it changes how we live. As, as a culture, we're, we're wired, aren't we? So that if, if something is painful or difficult, then we, we, we tell ourselves, oh, we, we must be doing something wrong. You know, if we're, if, if, if things are, if we're suffering or, or something must be wrong, I must be doing something wrong, or I need to change something about my life. You know, there are, there are books, there are uh, podcasts, there are even preachers who claim to offer a way that offers kind of meaning and hope and, and tranquility and happiness and peace outside of joy, uh, and joy, yet outside of Jesus, they're just empty promises. Outside of Jesus, they're just empty promises. But does it mean that when we come to know Jesus, it's all plain sailing? Of course, no. Anyone who's followed Jesus for any amount of time will say, no, of course, we will suffer. We will face difficulty, but we do so with Jesus. We do so together with Jesus. His Holy Spirit at work in us, together with the help and support of other believers. And the second part of that, that verse I read in, in John 16, where Jesus says, you will have trouble, is but take heart, I have overcome the world. You'll have trouble, but take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. And one day, we're going to be with him where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more struggle. It's glorious. We get to go and be with Jesus in eternity for those that know and follow him. And so, idols are prevalent. We're in a battle, but we go with Jesus. Verse 30, read on. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. 
Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned to silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! It's got the feeling, hasn't it, of a pressure cooker, this situation. You know, kind of a, uh, a, a mob mentality, a riot, you know, discord being, being, being sown and, and a, a, being people being whipped up into a frenzy about, uh, about their livelihoods being taken away and the, the so-called good name of this god, goddess Artemis being, uh, uh, being denigrated. But it's got an awful feeling of a pressure cooker here, you know, fury. People are angry, shouting, a, as I say, a mob mentality. And... Uh, you know, Paul, and they must have, they must have echoes back to like when, when Stephen was, was stoned, you know, and other, other folks in, in, in the story of Acts that we've read about over the previous weeks where there was like a mob mentality and people got, got lost their lives or, or people got thrown into prison. And, and so he must, they must have feared for their lives. They must have thought, we could, we could die here. There's a lot of people there. They're shouting for two hours. They're, they're pretty worked up. And, and they must have feared for their, for their lives. The best perhaps they could have hoped for was to be thrown into prison. Such was the anger of, of these folks whose, uh, who, whose idols were being, you know, taken away. Their, their, their idols of, of, of finance and money and so on were under pressure. So their idols are prevalent, we're in a battle, but idols are powerful. Yeah? Idols are powerful. They can have tremendous power over us, can't they? If you've watched or read um, Lord of the Rings, you know, you've only got to think of Gollum, right? You know, my precious ring, you know, seeking, seeking after the ring, getting the ring, chasing the ring. It, it changed him and defined him, didn't it? It, 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 it entirely defined him. Let us, let us not be a people who are, who are defined by stuff that we, would, that we would chase and pursue that aren't Jesus, right? We could so easily become that. Like, we've all have friends, and you might even think, well, actually, this is me, but can be defined by... By career, that's a huge one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm pursuing this. I'm just going, going at this all in. And there's a, there's a goodness in that, you know, in terms of wanting to, to work hard and do well and provide. But if it becomes what you're, what you're pursuing, the focus of all you're giving yourself to, then actually we, we, it ends up defining us, doesn't it? Your boss's opinion of, of, of you it ends up defining you and shaping you. How good you are at your job can define you or shape you. Let us not be a people who are, who are, who are defined by, by our career or by these things, by other things. I'm not saying don't pursue them. You know, these are good things. It might be career, relationships. They're, they're good things. But I, I'm, make sure you're not looking to them for hope and meaning. Because if you are, then they're an idol. They're good things. They're not bad things. But don't look for them for hope and for meaning and for salvation because they'll never deliver. And you maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you think, well, okay, yeah, I, 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 I recognize I've got some things out of place in my heart. I recognize whether it's, it's work, home, family, money, I mean, insert the, insert the blank. It's, okay, I've been, I'm, I've been guilty of chasing that either now or at some point in my life. And, and what do I do? You know, these people, they, we read about in the first section, they, they went and burned it. How do, I, how do I, you know, do I need to go home and have a bonfire, uh, write a letter to, <laughs> to my boss at work and walk out? No, no, no. Not talking about that, but how do we stop it? The answer is 
There's a book, an 18th century book, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Yeah? And, and the, point it ma- the point it makes is that um, as opposed to trying to, to stop, to, oh, I've, got to, I've got to push this, this thing in my heart that is, is, is capturing my heart and uh, what I'm seeking to, to get hope and ha- happiness and salvation from, I've got to try and jettison that. I've got to try and jettison that and stop, stop thinking too much about work or stop caring too much about this or stop uh, worrying too much about that. Actually, I need to press into a new affection. I need to press in to a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. The point is that when we press into that, that new affection of, of Jesus, other things sort of fall away. Yeah? If you can, uh, if you can, if, if those that are married, apologies if you're not, it's probably might make not too much sense, but you know, when you first meet somebody, uh, you, know, you might be busy, right? You've got busy lives, none of us are, you know, we're all kind of busy, we've got stuff on, and uh, people might say, oh, hey, can you, do you, do you want to come around? Oh, I'm busy, you know, I can't do that. Suddenly, they, you know, we've all got that friend, they meet someone, and they're spending all their time with them. You think, hold on, you were so busy last week, and now you've got all this time to, to spend with your new boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, and you think, how, how did that happen? The answer, the expulsive power of a new affection. Yeah? Suddenly they found these new affection and desires and they pursued them and other things just, just kind of fell away. Yeah? And, and folks, let us, that's how it should be with, with us. We can get so uptight in, in trying to stop, doing, stop this and stop chasing after that. Well, instead, it's, let, let's lean into Jesus. Let's lean into Jesus and you'll find those other things will, will fall away. The other things will fall away. We can enjoy them as good things given to us by God but just things. So money just becomes money. Yeah, It's not some God to be worshipped or chased after. It becomes money, steward it well, but it becomes just money. Career, it's good. Want to work hard, want to do well. It's just a career. Family, it's important. I want to look after it. I want to do well, but it's just family. Good things are to be enjoyed, but not as ultimate things. We, we, we ruin them. If we try and make them ultimate things, we ruin them because they can never live up to it. They can never live up to it. And that what was, going, was what was going on in the first part of this chapter. People coming to know Jesus, being changed, and turning away from idols. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. He doesn't leave us on our own to kind of clean ourselves up or, or get rid of this or stop that. He sends his spirit to help us. He says, come to me. His invitation is, come to me. Come to me, enjoy the riches of heaven that I have for you at Christ's expense. Come to me and allow me to change you. Come to me and allow me to change you. Let those other things find their place, but let Jesus be the center. He died on the cross to bring us to him. To bring us to him. You don't have to to clean up your life in order to follow him. Jesus died that that our sins past, present, future might be wiped away. We simply have to accept and to follow and trust in him and he'll change us. His grace at work in our lives will change us as we follow him. And you might think, well, this, this really just applies, you know, you're talking to new believers here. You know, new believers who, who might, certainly at the beginning of this chapter, you know, they were, they were new believers and, and, and then suddenly they go, oh, I'll turn away and burn, burn idols and things. And you think, well, I've, I've, been, a, I've been a believer for years. Again, Steve, what relevance does this have to me? But, but folks, as, we, as, as we've been believers for a while, the, the fires can grow cold. 
Idols, the, the nature of our society, idols can be so subtle and can just come in. And, and God in his grace, he doesn't necessarily point things out at once when we first come to follow him and say, right, Steve is this, and then when you've done that, there's this and this and this. He graciously is patient with me and patient with us to, to point out these things that we go on being changed. Until we go to be with him, we, we're changed daily to become like him. It's not all at once. So this applies to, to new believers. This applies to believers who've who have been going for, for, for decades. His heart is to bring us to him. He saved us, he rescued us, and he wants to change us. My question this morning is, do you, do you need to come back to him this morning? Do you find yourself just, you can almost, we can almost kind of sleepwalk into it and think, oh, actually, I'm, 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 I've been chasing this, and actually, I'm... I find myself quite far from him. I find myself quite far. I find myself in a place where I've been, I've been pursuing stuff that's not from him or, or, or putting, putting idols in my heart that aren't him. I want to say, do we need to just lean into him afresh this morning? Do you need to just come to him afresh this morning? Allow him to, to change you and those other idols fall away. Those other things that would have taken root in our hearts, in our thinking, in our, in our desires, allow them just to fall away and be enjoyed as things, not ultimate things. The wonder of the cross is that we're changed and we're forgiven. We're changed and we're forgiven and we go on being changed. We've got the righteousness from Christ. He sees now, uh, now I trust and follow Jesus and Jesus has died on the cross. He sees me as he sees Jesus, even though I'm still imperfect and he goes on changing and working in our lives. His invitation is to come this morning. When we get it wrong, it's to come this morning. When we find ourselves far from him, it's to come. The invitation is to come. It's not, hey, go clear that up and then come. No, it's come and let me work. That's his invitation this morning. Shall we pray?